0: The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, welcome this evening. Glad that you are joining us online. If you're doing that, we're going to go ahead and uh, trust uh, Bratton's are online. So I'm going to hang up summarily. And they will be able to participate that way. And then we'll turn our Bibles to, oh, what passage shall I have you turn to? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. This will just be one of a number of passages that we could visit, depending on how the time goes. And uh, sorry, I forgot to mention that the young people can be uh, dismissed to go up uh, with Jansen and... uh, Do their first of the month activity. We should be okay there, I think, John, yes? Is that all right? Yes, okay, very well. All right, we can let you go then. Genesis chapter three. I want to talk with you in a few sessions about the concept of self deception. Self deception. It's been something that has been on my to-do list for a long time and I just decided uh, I'm going to start hacking away at this uh, topic and see what I can come up with for you all and hopefully it will be helpful. I was alerted to this topic uh, some time ago in an article which is by a uh, theologian who's now with the Lord and uh, I'm trying to find it here, uh, the reference. It's called The Crucial Concept of Self-Deception. The theologian's name is Greg Bonson. Uh, Bonson is a a theologian well-known for being a student of Cornelius Van Til of the Presuppositional School of Apologetics. If that doesn't mean anything to you right now, then uh, don't worry. That's not the point of our message this evening. But uh, he was not in line with our theology in terms of eschatology and dispensationalism and our view of the church He was a very strong Reformed uh, theologian. And so we wouldn't follow along with him on some of those areas. But he had some helpful things to think about in uh, presuppositional apologetics, defense of the faith, and uh, and in this matter about the concept of self-deception. So over 75 times as I introduce the subject uh, in the Bible, 75 times in English, the verb deceive is used. And uh, about ten times the noun deception. The concept is found in other places as well. Um, many of these statements are warnings against being deceived. Some texts speak of the source of deception. We'll get into that in this little series. And others are about the dangers of deception from false teachers. Yet others describe, other texts in the Bible describe the uh, deceptive activity or Patterns of the lives of the wicked or historical examples of that. So the Bible has a lot of different references to this idea of deception. In fact, the first is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it says in verse number 6, uh, no, sorry, not verse number 6, verse number 13. Um, and the Lord said to the woman, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, now this is her own testimony that the serpent deceived her. Alright, so if you don't turn here, but just think with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says that he's not allowing women pastors in the church. He says, for Adam was first formed and then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in uh, fell into transgression. So Paul is saying nothing other than what already Eve said of herself: that I was deceived by the serpent and ate. And so you are familiar with the passage: the serpent spoke to the woman and said, uh, um, "Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" And the woman started talking back to the serpent. Bad idea. And she says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but not of this particular tree. We shall not touch it lest we die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so they broke trust with God. They, they didn't trust God that God had provided for them everything that they needed, including a sufficient knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to know that for themselves and so they took for the, from the tree It was pleasant to their eyes, desirable to make one wise, and she ate it. And her husband ate as well. He was not deceived, however. He knew what he was doing. He rebelled against God and thus plunging the race into sin. But they, she was initially at least deceived. The last example of deception in the Bible is, you'll guess, in the book of Revelation chapter 20. I'm just kind of outlining a case here that deception is something that is talked about much in scripture. Revelation 20 verse number 10. It says the devil, okay, this is after the end of the thousand years. There's a little hiccup here where Satan is released. He deceives the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. Uh, then they're defeated. And it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Okay, so we have the text in Genesis. We have the text in Revelation. Deception from beginning to end. The Bible is very clear to tell us about these things so that we would not fall into them ourselves. So the devil is the deceiver. And from the beginning to the end of world history, we have examples of Deception. So it should be no surprise to us that deception marks our own day uh, in all kinds of ways. In advertising, in politics, uh, in uh, business, and so on, people deceive for some advantage. Sometimes deception comes from outside of a person. So that he or she is innocently tricked into believing something or, or doing something that is not in line with true reality or holiness. Other times, the deception is, well, I can say it this way, the person himself or herself is complicit in the deception. So it's not just somebody pulling the wool over their eyes and tricking them, but perhaps the person is complicit in the deception or is even the original source of the deception. This is a big reason why deception works, because the person deceived is guiltily participates in that deception. Probably most often there's a combination of internal and external factors. So some test or temptation comes from outside, some false information, some philosophy, some false teaching, and then uh, the desire of the person to deny what they know to be true and to adopt that deceptive Truth, we'll call it. It's not truth, but you know what I'm saying. It's a fact that's not true or a teaching that's not true. And so I have been interested for some time in just thinking about the notion of how does one become entangled in deception such that the person deceives him or herself? How exactly does that work? How does a person know something but is somehow also convinced that that something is not true. How do you believe what you do not believe? Or not believe what you do believe? Or how do you lie to yourself? Are you with me? We, we have uh, examples. I mean, we, we could probably think of examples of people who are, who are deceived. Um, let me give you some definitions. And part of Bonson's argument in his paper is that self-deception is hard to understand and hard to define and hard to know how it operates, but it's something that we know exists. We know somehow it exists, that there is some kind of self-deception. And it's not just because somebody has a mental illness, say. That's, that's a possible source. I'm not even going to touch that, but I'm just thinking of it now. Somebody can be delusional uh, hallucinating, they think something is true. There, there, there's nothing outside of them that's causing them to feel or think uh, something is is false or true, but they think it in their own mind, and so they are deceived. But what is it, and how it is exa- how exactly does it work? That's what we're trying to go for, and I'm doing this in part because there is a massive, well, actually, there's more than one massive self-deception that is and will be operational in the world. One is in Romans: 121. The people they knew God, but they did not. They did They denied that knowledge. They deceived themselves. And then, and that passage doesn't even use the word deceive, I don't think, but the idea is there. And then you have in Second Thessalonians, you have the passage of Scripture where it says they're going to be, when the Antichrist comes, deceived, and they will believe the lie. So there will be a great final deception that occurs in the world in eschatology. So we need to define, first of all, self-deception. To define self-deception, we first need to define deception. Okay. To deceive is defined as causing a person to believe something is true which is not in fact true. The deception often has a motivation behind it of personal gain in some way. For example, suppose that an unscrupulous person weasels his way into the confidence of an elderly uh, individual. He might use his position to deceive the senior citizen to hand over money for some purpose uh, that is not in fact the real use of the money or for something that's Wildly inflated, somehow lie to that person or say here's a here's an investment that's a, you know a, a no lose situation or you've heard it all before. You know, uh, elder care people who are embezzling or children embezzling from their parents or something like that, stealing basically. Um, I heard years ago about a car dealership not far from here that took an elderly gentleman for $100,000 uh, by getting him to purchase a Cadillac that was uh, priced up to that level. And I'm sure they didn't add all the options uh, so that they would lose profit. <laughs> that that was one of the last things that I ever heard about that dealership before it went out of business. And its um, franchise was taken away from by, by the Cadillac uh, people. Uh Sad as that was, it was believable because of human depravity. The elderly gentleman was deceived. He may also have had some measure of self-deception. I don't know. Maybe he always wanted to have a Cadillac and he thought he could have that and he didn't understand the value of the money that he was being charged or or something. I, I don't know enough details to go into that. But even if it's a hyperbolic story, it still gives you the point about deception. Now, Oxford Languages defines then self-deception as the action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalidated feeling or situation is true. Let me read that again. It's the action or practice of allowing yourself To believe that a false or unvalidated thing is true. There is a similar motivational aspect behind self-deception. Remember I said with deception it often is accompanied by a motivation. Like I'm going to deceive this person so that I retain my comfort level. (laughs) Or I'm going to deceive this person so I can get money out of them. Something like that. There's a motivation to it. Well, there's a similar motivation behind self-deception. The wrong belief that you convince yourself is true permits the deceived person to continue in their mind or action to live in a comfortable or pleasurable place without having to deal with the reality that they're denying. So if you deny, for example, that God exists, you can continue to live comfortably pursuing your sinful pleasures. Make sense? You can do so without much thought to the implications of the opposite proposition. The opposite proposition is God does exist. So if you deceive yourself by saying, no, God doesn't exist, even though I know He does, then you can live with that False proposition on the surface of your mind and that allows you to feel better about your activities that are done in sin before God. So, here's what self-deception looks like. A person, we'll say uh, Joe, because we don't have any Joes here, uh, believes that X is true. He, he he believes that X, whatever X is, is true. God exists or whatever. Joe is motivated for some reason to ignore, hide, or deny that fact. You know, the fact that God exists is inconvenient if you want to sin. If you want to live in sin. So there's so some motivation to ignore, hide, or deny that X is true. So Joe misconstrues or rationalizes the evidence that X is true, twisting it around so that in his mind it can be plausible that X is not true. Okay, doesn't this this makes you tired just thinking about it? Right? These are called mental gymnastics, and some people get a lot of exercise doing such mental gymnastics. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a. Adaptation of a phrase we heard a long time ago from some uh, missionary, I think, Dr. Fraser. But uh, anyway, those mental gymnastics really uh, tire us out. But people do this all the time. They know that something is true, but rationalize away the evidence for that, twisting it so that it can be plausible that it is in fact False. Um, I'll give some illustrations uh, over the course of the next one or two more sessions on this subject. So, so Joe has believed X is true. He's motivated to deny that. He then misconstrues the evidence that would be against the denial. It would, you know, and he says, "Okay, I can make this seem plausibly not true." So he brings himself to believe falsely that I do not believe that X is true. I mean, I believe it's true, but he's somehow brought himself to the point of saying it's not true. This effectively is the same as saying that Joe believes that X is false. So, there's kind of a lot of jumping here to, to get to this point. I'm sure it's stated in a very careful way uh, by Bonson as well as I've kind of replicated it here. Um, so, he knew it. He rationalized away the evidence for it. And now he's in a situation where he believes falsely that he does not believe in X. Even though, like I always kind of think about the example of disregarding God, when that person comes before the throne of God for judgment, they're not really going to believe anymore that they're atheists. They're going to know that what they knew in their heart of hearts what they had in Romans language suppressed in unrighteousness, that is going to come bubbling up to the top again in a very, uh, a very bad way and they're going to know that they were deceiving themselves. So here's another illustration. When the son of Mrs. Jones has been caught red-handed stealing lunch money out of students' desks at school, And Mrs. Jones continues to protest her son's innocence. Despite this being the third time that such an incident has taken place, despite her discomfort and red face when the subject of dishonesty comes up in casual conversations, despite the fact that she does not trust her son around her own purse any longer because she's been missing money out of there, And she continues to explain his innocence with strange explanations like the school officials have a vendetta against my son. Or they were framing him. Nobody in that case finds it hard to believe that she is deceiving herself. Does that make sense? I'm sure you probably could think of a circumstance or two Along that line. Um, let's look at, uh, let's go ahead and look at Job 15, and I think that'll, we'll see how long it takes us here. Job 15. We're going to look at some texts in the Bible that mention self deception. And uh, I'm going to use Job 15 because it uses the idea of self deception. But what I'm not going to do is give Eliphaz the credit that he might like me to give him because his theology is a bit messed up. He is using his speeches, as the other friends are, to say that Job is a wicked sinner and therefore he is suffering the problems that he has in his life. Fifteen. Job and chapter 15. Um, And so, we recognize that that's the case with Eliphaz and that his theology is somewhat, um, well, maybe we could say deceptive. (laughs) But uh, we're not deceived by it. We know that it's not perfect theology because he's blaming Job and Job is declared by God to be a blameless fellow, a, a righteous man on the earth but our for our purposes we can use the passage here cautiously so eliphaz look at verse 31 job 15 and 31 he says this let him not trust in futile things deceiving himself for futility will be his reward okay so around um oh You go back far enough, you're going to find that he's talking about a wicked man, like in verse 20. The wicked man writhes with pain all his days. Now see, there's an example where Job's, or Eliphaz's theology is wrong. There are many wicked people today who do not writhe in pain. They live in luxury. They're billionaires, millionaires. They have plenty of resources, all kinds of friends, and pleasure all the day. That's not exactly true what he says, but he's talking about a wicked person. And he says, let him not trust in futile things. Well, that's that's good. I mean, we can evaluate that and find that it's useful. Trusting in futile things, deceiving himself for futility will be his reward. So he criticizes the wicked man and exhorts him not to trust in worthless things. That trust is a form of self-deception. You see, it says deceiving himself. In which he thinks he will get something, but he knows really ultimately he's going to get nothing. If he stops to objectively think about the worthless object of his trust, you know, I mean, think about it. Riches? Okay, what happens when you die? Steve Jobs had that fantastically wealthy genius in computer technology. Died a few years ago, just like everybody else. If he would stop and think about it, he would have to admit, yeah, the money doesn't do me any good. If he was trusting in it. I don't know that he was. but If you think about it, you would know that you're going to get nothing out of those futile things in which you trust. You trust in the world, you trust in satan some people actually do they they devote themselves to his service the act of trusting in a worthless thing is self deception because why do you trust in it well you trust in it because you say to yourself it's going to give me something or going to help me or give me hope or something but then if you know that it's futile then why are you why are you trusting in it so i suppose that this deception could be, uh, kind of foisted upon somebody initially from the outside, but in this case, it's deceiving himself, so it's foisted upon himself from the inside. Okay, so just one example of self-deception. Let's go ahead and t- touch another one. This one in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Not so long ago, we were in this passage of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter 3. And in it you remember that Paul is talking about the divisions in the church and Paul and Apollos and Cephas and Christ and all that and then he talks about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, wood hay, stubble ore, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, and then the testing of that work that's going to provide or be tested and, and result in reward or, or not. First Corinthians 314. Uh, 15, it talks about... And then he says this in 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. In other words, if you ruin God's temple, what is the temple? It's the church. It's not the temple of Israel. It's not the tabernacle. It's not the... Solomonic temple. It's not Herod's temple rebuilt from Solomon's or the second temple in the post-exile period. Um, Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone ruins or defiles that temple, the church, God will defile, that, ruin that person, destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. Now when I studied this, and shared it with you, I tied this back. It's connected obviously to the idea of wisdom in the following part of the verse, but I I tied it back as well. If you think you're so wise and you're able to treat with impunity the church of the living God, you need to watch out. You need to not deceive yourself because God will destroy those who destroy His temple. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be really wise, truly wise. So don't deceive yourself. So I think there is a connection between these two segments of text. I don't think we have a hard break at 17 and then going into 18. So Paul warns them against deceiving themselves. God will destroy those who defile the church no matter how smart they think they are. In other words, don't think you're going to get away with it. You will not get away with it. Breaking up God's church, causing discord and division, sowing a false teaching and all of that. No matter how smart you think you are, buster, you're not going to get away with doing such a bad thing in the church. So don't deceive yourself. See, here's the problem with worldly wisdom which is also talked about in 1 Corinthians 1 and also is going to be mentioned as we get to Romans 1, not tonight, but people profess themselves to be wise and what does the Bible say? They became fools. So they've deceived themselves thinking, I am wise, when the reality that they're denying is I am nothing if they stop and think about it, they would realize I'm one of 7.7 billion people on the planet. I am underneath the almighty hand of God. We're in this little, uh, as some have said, backwater area of the Milky Way galaxy, one of billions of galaxies. I am nothing. But you convince yourself that you are something and you're very wise and smart and uh, smartest person in the room and that sort of thing. And the Bible is telling us don't deceive yourself. Don't take what you know to be true, manipulate it, massage it, rationalize it, twist it to make it opposite, and then go about your life living that way. Not a good idea. Don't be deceived. The Bible's full of Uh, mentions of deception, right? From Genesis to Revelation. uh, We looked at the definition of what deception is. We're trying to understand just how it works. What's a plausible um, biblical explanation for how somebody takes what they know to be true, convinces themselves that it's not true? But this is a real problem. This is why I wanted to investigate this because... People around us do this all the time. Some do it who are believers. Some who are professing believers. Some who are professing not believers. Take a professing believer for one example. They say they know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. But then they live as if that's not true. Now, in between there, there must be some train of thought where they're justifying their behavior. I know that God wants me to live for Him, but I'm going to deceive myself into thinking I don't really have to do that. And maybe I'll theologize it a little bit and throw in the idea of forgiveness there, and God will God will overlook and all that sort of thing. And so, therefore, I can live. You're deceiving yourself. You're believing something that's true, which is the opposite of what is true. So, this is a very important topic and I hope that our investigation will yield some fruit and at least help us to understand how we can see somebody who is deceiving themselves and help them to see that. As I've said before, sin is a very deceptive little creature. Um, And you probably can think of a verse in Jeremiah that tells us about our hearts and what they do to us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked on top of that. You can't be deceitful and be holy. So it could never say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately holy. <laughs> it's desperately wicked. Okay, deception is evil. And so we have a real problem on our hands, or should I say on our hearts. <laughs> Because sin does that to us. Sin deceived me, Paul says in Romans 7. So we're going to have to stop there. Uh, I know you're already saying, uncle, enough is enough. Uh, you got to let this sink in. We'll go at it again, review all this, and add some more to our uh, to our thoughts as we have time over the weekend. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us not to deceive ourselves. Help us to heed the warnings of Scripture that we should not deceive ourselves that we are surrounded by deception and we can become culpably involved in that deception by deceiving ourselves. Lord, help us to be humble and to recognize that and Lord, even to recognize the symptoms of self-deception in us so that we can combat that successfully in our walk with You. Lord, we love You and we thank You for Your love for us. Lord, would You spare us in wrath? Would You remember mercy even over us? Your people and over the nations of this world who are blind and go about thinking that they're wise when in fact they are at the pinnacle of foolishness. Oh, help us, I pray.